Isaiah chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Then I would invite you to turn over to Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. This is found on page 1184. And this passage of Luke will be our sermon text this morning. Luke 4, verses 31 to 37. So speaking of Jesus here, beginning at verse 31, Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed. And spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Thus far, the reading of God's word. I would invite you to pray with me before we consider it further. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, know your word, that it never fails. Your word never falters. It always accomplishes its purpose. And so we pray that your word would stand in our hearts this morning, that it would clarify for us what it is that we are to believe about you, and that it would also clarify for us uh, how we are to respond with faith and obedience. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It has often been observed in our American culture by many different uh, people, philosophers, commentators from different stripes, that as Americans we typically are inclined against authority. And you can listen to popular music, you can look at our movies and in our politics. A lot of it speaks against who might be in charge at that time. In fact, sometimes rock and roll is summarized as stick it to the man. 
And there's multiple rock stars that uh, love to show how against the authority they are, and it sells. You see, it's not just the rock star. It's all the Americans who buy the music. And as Americans, we love movies uh, with heroes who fight against authority. Uh, We even sometimes in our politics like to hear those who speak against authority and sometimes are even disrespectful of authority. So I have a quote for you. Here is an American who's speaking against authority. He says, I was bold, never fearing to follow truth and reason to whatever results they led and confronting every authority which stood in their way. Who said that? Was that a rock star, a famous actor? Actually, that's our founding father, Thomas Jefferson, who was ready to confront any authority if they were against the truth. So you see, our country would really not even be a country had we not opposed authority. That's what the Revolutionary War was all about. And that's not to say that uh, all opposition to authority is wrong, and sometimes there are just wars. But I'm just observing with you that resisting authority is somewhat in the DNA of the United States. It's part of our identity. It's our freedom to oppose authority rather than bow to a king. You can even follow U.S. history. It's very interesting. There's always this tension between trying to establish authority so we can operate as a country and then uh, the freedom then to resist and oppose that authority at the same time. And I say all this because our sermon text is about authority. The word authority shows up two times in this text at very critical points. And maybe as you hear that word authority, and yes, it appears twice in our text, you can just shrug your shoulders as you think about it. But if you really settle in and start to think about what we're talking about, we're talking about submitting to someone else's authority in our lives, which does not come easy for us, even if it is Jesus. Not always, not every day. And the reason for that is it's not just because you're an American. It's a human problem. The sin that resides in our hearts rejects authority. It's too easy in our hearts to decide that we are in charge and how we live each day. No one has authority over me. Not even Jesus. Even though we know when we're in charge, life doesn't go very well. We are in charge and we make terrible mistakes and we have wounded pride and so forth. This problem with rejecting authority, it's a historical problem that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. We are children of Adam and Eve. And they rejected God's authority about the tree. They accepted Satan's advice that they could be their own source of knowledge. They could be the ones to decide what is good and what is evil. That's right. That forbidden tree is what opened our hearts to rejecting authority. And I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through this text. That our hearts struggle with submitting to authority because of original sin. Even as, with eyes of faith, we see our Savior Jesus doing amazing things. His authority is on display. And yet in our hearts, we struggle with that very thing. We're going to look at this text in three parts this morning. First, we're going to look at Jesus' authority over the truth. And then we're going to look at Jesus' authority over demons. And then third, at Jesus' authority over all things. 
So it begins in a normal way. In verse 31, Jesus goes to a a new town, a new city. This time he goes to Capernaum. In the verses just before this, he'd been rejected at Nazareth. So he went on to the next town. And as was Jesus' habit at this time, he then goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath to teach. Verse 32, the response to Jesus' uh, teaching is that they are astonished. Why are they so astonished? They say because Jesus' word was with that authority. He's speaking with authority. So you see what we learn in these verses. Jesus teaches. The people are astonished. And then they start commenting about Jesus' authority. I want to give you two reasons that Jesus' message had authority. I think there might be more than two, but we're going to focus on these two. And the first reason is that in that day that Jesus was teaching, the style of his teaching, the style of teaching at that time by the rabbis was like a, a series of endless footnotes. So that uh, the Jewish rabbis, when they would teach in the synagogues, they would say things like, well, Rabbi Gamaliel said this, Rabbi Isaac said that, and so on and so forth. They would cite different things from the Talmud. In fact, there's one author in the Talmud that said, nor have I ever in my life said anything that I did not first hear from my teachers. So literally, a rabbi walks into a synagogue and all he does is quote what other rabbis had said. Imagine a pastor comes in your pulpit and all they do is open up Calvin's commentary and then Hendrickson and then a couple other commentators. That's all they do. That was a rabbi in first century. So then we have this contrast. Jesus goes to the synagogue in Capernaum and he doesn't refer to anybody. He's not quoting rabbis. He's speaking on his own authority. He's speaking directly to the synagogue congregation. And if you were to have that in mind, as you look at the next few chapters in Luke, Jesus, on his own authority, starts talking about fasting. He starts talking about how to keep the Sabbath. He says how you should love and that you should not judge other people. And there's many other things that Jesus has to say on his own authority. doesn't matter what the earlier rabbis said. So when you go much later in Luke to chapter 20, what do they ask him? They say, they confront Jesus in the Jerusalem at the temple, and they say, by whose authority are you doing this? And they're asking Jesus, how, how can you get away with this? Who are you under? What rabbi? They're obsessed with this chain of command. I think that really leads us to our second reason, though, about why Jesus' message had such authority without footnotes and quotations. Because he didn't need a chain of command. He didn't need to follow under somebody else's rabbi's teachings or some seminary, so to speak. Jesus is the Son of God. He's speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. When it says in John 1, He is the Word. Jesus is the incarnate Word. What He says has its own authority as God. There has never been before, there will never be again, another man like Jesus who speaks this way. A teacher who has the authority because He is the person of the Christ. God incarnate. Jesus can declare God's will 
and the Father's will like no one ever has or will again. So part of what I'm hoping you hear in this is when Jesus comes to Capernaum, in a sense, behold the man. Here is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son who can speak with great authority with the power of heaven. So let's work at this idea just a little bit more. So what is the difference then between a great rabbi or a preacher like me and Jesus? Well, you can think about me. There's a limit to what I can say. I can't be up here just giving my own ideas and analysis and that's good enough. My job as a preacher is to declare what God has said, to declare God's word. If I fail to deliver what God has said is true, I should be out of a job. There's a limit on me. There's a limit on a first century rabbi. There's no such limit on Jesus. He is God. He does declare what is true. He is the authority. When Jesus says in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, it could not be more direct. There's no mystery there. What Jesus says is true. He is the authority over all truth. Now remember our sinful nature that even as we hear this as Christians, I think if we examine ourselves carefully, there's something of a yes and no challenge that comes with this. Yes, we, we, we delight in this and we, we want Jesus to have authority over the truth. But boy, do we love to be right sometimes. We want to be in charge of the truth or to control how our lives are going. I guarantee all of us have at least one area of our lives that we think that we can control. That uh, we all have this way that we see the world and we want to be in charge of that part of it. How we parent, how we do a home repair project, or how we address some problem we think is so, so small while we don't have to pray about this one. I bet if I followed you around long enough, I'd find some area in your life where you try to be in control, where you want to be in charge. Just as if you followed me around, you would find the same thing to be true. One good diagnostic for how to find those areas of your life uh, where maybe you're wanting to be too much in charge, anytime you think you don't have to pray about it first, that's probably a place where you think that you are in control. So our passage has for us this reminder. I would even call it a refreshing reminder. It's a relief to say, yes, Jesus is in charge of the truth. Jesus has authority in my life and I serve him. It's refreshing because after a while, if you look at all of your choices when you're in charge, you just see wreckage. It's a mess. And then the warm breezes of the gospel say, ah, This is what it is like to relinquish control. This is what it's like to submit to Jesus as the Lord of my life. As believers, shouldn't it be a relief to us, we who are weak and heavy laden, to rest in Jesus, to take his yoke upon us and give up all of our efforts at control? All right, let's take a look at a second area in our verses in which Jesus has authority, not just over the truth, but secondly, over demons and really over the spiritual world. Just to develop this a little bit, it's it's a nice thing to have 
all the right answers and to have the truth. But if you don't have the power and the strength to do anything about it, it really doesn't mean as much, does it? You can think of many examples. In football, you could have the right strategy, but if you don't have the players to carry it out, it doesn't matter. Or in the corporate world, or um, in military, um, you need more than just the right idea. You need power and strength, and that's what we're going to see from Jesus, that he doesn't only have the truth, he has the power and strength in his plan. So in verse 33, in the synagogue, isn't that amazing, in a worship service, here they are in the synagogue. A man is there who has an unclean demon. The demon's not just sitting there politely while everyone else worships. Instead, he says, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? And the idea is, this demon knows exactly who Jesus is. Verse 34, he is the Holy One of God. That is, he is the Messiah. A reminder uh, that we see from James 2, verse 19, where even the demons believe and they shudder. So this demon does, revealing Jesus' identity to the crowd in Capernaum. The demon says what is true, and yet Jesus then rebukes the demon and tells the demon to be silent. I find this interesting. Why must the demon be silent if he's saying the truth? Well, we weren't there to hear the demon's tone of voice or what it might be like for someone with a demonic character to be crying out what Jesus' identity is. I'm guessing it wasn't pleasant. This is maybe a a bit of a silly analogy, but uh, suppose that all the uh, international terrorist organizations, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and so forth, for whatever reason... They chose one of the current candidates for president, Michael Bloomberg or Joe Biden or someone like that, and they start endorsing on their websites that they think that Joe Biden should be the next president for the United States. What would that be like? Would anybody say, oh, yes, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because the terrorists support him. It's not going to work that way. I think that's something of what Jesus is doing with this demon. He doesn't want the demon to be promoting him. He doesn't need him to do that. It's a bad source. He's an evil source. Likely the people are scared of him. Jesus doesn't need a demon with ulterior motives saying who he is. Again, Jesus has his own authority. He can claim the truth for himself. He doesn't need the demon's help. It's really distracting the people from what he is there to do to teach the people. Now there's something really cool about this. If you look in verse 35... Once Jesus commands that the demon be silent, the demon does not speak again. Who has authority? Well, it's Jesus. Notice also in verse 35 that Jesus commands the demon to come out of the man, and after something of like a wrestling takedown, that demon leaps. It's gone. Who has authority? It's Jesus. Jesus has authority over demons. He has authority over the entire spiritual world. The crowd in the Capernaum in verse 36, they say, what is this word with authority and power? He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. There's that word again, authority. And you see how they're tying these two things together. What is this word they say? What is this truth that his man is saying? 
They're connecting it to His power over the demons. Jesus' power over the demons is verifying, it's proving that He has power over the truth. He has word authority. Then, as we see in verse 37, the word spreads about Jesus and to all the surrounding regions. And it's worth observing. I mean, at this point in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, the crowds don't totally get who Jesus is. Even the disciples are often stumbling and not totally get who Jesus is. They're missing key parts of Jesus' person and mission. Even though the demons are saying who Jesus is, Jesus himself is saying who he is. But I would say at this point, there's this clouded understanding about everything about Jesus and his purpose and mission. However, Luke 4, in Capernaum, there's one thing that's very clear, and that's this idea that Jesus has authority. That's one thing that everyone understands very clearly. I want to think with this a little bit more with you and reflect on the fact that Jesus has authority over demons. And I uh, got this insight from Sinclair Ferguson, who, in my opinion, he's one of the greatest preachers and theologians of our day. But anyway, Sinclair Ferguson has observed this, that if you look over the course of the Bible, demons and evil spirits actually do not occur very often. So if you look through the Old Testament, even if you look at the first, second, third centuries of church history, that occurs, but actually demon possession is rather rare. But you come to Jesus' ministry, and then you find that demon and demonic activity seems to be happening quite frequently. At this specific time, in 30 to 33 A.D., in first century Palestine. So it's this man in verse 35. If you go a few more verses to Luke 4, verse 41, it says there that Jesus is casting out multiple demons and evil spirits. In Luke chapter 8, there's a man with a legion of demons. Why all this demonic activity as Jesus is in his ministry? Do you see it? This is Sinclair Ferguson's point. Uh, Demonic activity occasionally occurs, but is concentrated in this time of Jesus' ministry. Why is that? Jesus has arrived as the promised Messiah Jesus is the one who has the power to conquer the entire kingdom of Satan. This is it. When Jesus is on earth, this is the Super Bowl. This is the time where if the evil spirits don't fight now, when are they going to fight? In a sense, what's happening here in Luke 4 is this demon is testing Jesus' authority. He's saying, I know who you are, and it's we're about to find out what's going to happen at this point. Does Jesus' word... As the Holy One of God, have authority over the Spirit. We all want to know, including this evil spirit. And the answer is emphatically yes, that Jesus speaks and this evil spirit is cast out. So here in Luke 4, Jesus' authority is on display. At his mere word, all he has to do is speak and this this evil spirit is gone. And there's no special wand that he has. There's no special ritual or incantation. He just speaks it, and it is done. So to see then our main idea, Jesus has authority over powerful demons that can throw human beings to the ground. Demons who can exile a man to the wilderness, and that man lives naked. 
But Jesus then not only has power over the spiritual world, he has power over you as well. All what Jesus says about you is also true. So when we read in the parable of the sheep and the goats, when uh, Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats, that's on Jesus' authority that he can say to the unbeliever, on judgment day, he will send them to hell. Or Jesus, on his authority, can say to believers, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So Jesus has authority over you, over demons, but I want to expand that even more and say, I think it's a fair application of our text to say that Jesus has authority over all things. There's no person, no spiritual being, there's not even an atom or a molecule beyond Jesus' authority. The creation, all of it, is His. And we can look for support for this, not only from Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, but also consider these words from Colossians 2, verse 10. It says there, Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. Ephesians 1, verse 21, says Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. If you go back to that passage we read in the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 11, it's that passage that's often read at Christmas time, the shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse, the son of David that is to come. In verse 4, chapter uh, Isaiah 11, verse 4, it says there, He has the authority to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Isaiah 11 reminds us that it was always meant to be this way, that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy as he comes into the world. So Luke 4, verse 37, as the crowd in Capernaum is marveling at Jesus' authority, they should be, because no human has ever done what Jesus is doing before their eyes. They are getting a glimpse of that mighty son of Isaiah 11. I also think this puts into perspective what was happening when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. One of those temptations was Jesus shows, or I'm sorry, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and promised Jesus that he could have them if he bowed down and worshiped Satan. You see there the twisted nature of Satan's offering as if that's his to offer. When Jesus, the Son of God, already has that authority, He already has all those kingdoms as His. Everyone already answers to Jesus' authority, even Satan and his minions. So that's one thing I wanted to apply for you in this, is to convince you from Scripture that Jesus has authority over all things. But I have a second part to this application. I want you to reflect on how Jesus uses this ultimate authority that we have been talking about. And by way of contrast, imagine, first of all, if anyone else had ultimate authority like this. Think through the pages of human history when there are kings and queens and others with total power in their kingdoms. And we see there an ongoing cascade of pride and sin. There's that saying that 
power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. There's too many examples of dictators and Caesars and kings that become megalomaniacs. There's too many Hitlers and Neros. And if I wanted to, I could point to you certain countries with dictators today who are willing to kill, destroy, and maim their own people in order to keep their power. What human leader could you ever trust to not sin and harm you if they had such ultimate authority? Which is a way of saying there is only one Jesus. There's only one perfectly righteous, the one with true authority that has the power as the Son of God over all things. And this is a good thing and an okay thing. The one to whom and through whom all creation came into existence in the first place. So let me ask the question again. How does Jesus, the one with this ultimate authority, how does he use his authority? Well, when we look in John chapter 10, it says there that Jesus lays down his life of his own accord. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he has authority to lay down his life and authority to take it up again. How profound is that to have ultimate authority and power over heaven and earth and then to use that authority to die in the place of sinners like you and me. To die for rebels who rejected God's authority just like Adam and Eve. And Jesus chooses to die in a rebel's death in their place because he had the authority to do so. So Jesus has ultimate power and he chooses to use that power to save sinners. So I hope you hear that today, that good power, that total power looks like a shepherd laying down his life for his sheep, for his straying sheep. So today, if you happen to be here and you are not a Christian, pay attention. Here is a king that you can submit to, one whose authority you can respect. One who lays down his life for those who believe in him. You don't have to do any special work. You don't have to earn any sort of favor from this king. Rather, Jesus, from his own authority, freely offers to you pardon for your rebellion, the promise of eternal life, and all you have to do is believe him, believe in his sacrifice on the cross. For believers here today, we worship Jesus as our Savior. And even though we struggle with sin, even though we too often struggle and rebel against God's Word, we can find those day-to-day ways in our lives when we reject Christ's authority over us. Yet here is a time and a place for us to reflect on this, on how more fully we can submit to a Savior who rules over every part of our lives. Let me ask it to you this way. What would it look like if you lived every day as one who served Jesus Christ as your king in all the things that you said and did? What if you acted always, consistently, as though Jesus were your king with authority over all things? I think there's encouragement in this direction in our text, to remind us of Jesus' authority. 
But more than just reminding us of how to act, I think there's also here a call to renew our faith, to in our hearts, to reassure ourselves that Jesus has authority. Jesus is worth our allegiance. That by grace, through faith in Christ, we are free from the danger from demons. We are See, we are serving a king who has won the victory over Satan and has cast him from heaven. His death and his resurrection has conquered Satan's kingdom. He's conquered death itself. Jesus' authority, he takes up his life again, and not only his own life, but for all those who look to him and trust in him. Living under Jesus' authority means we don't have to fear anything, not demons, not death, not even Satan himself. So by faith, we have a king who used his authority to save us. By faith and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we rejoice that Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth. He is our king who will one one day be crowned victorious by all. And for now, he is the crowned king in our hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word declared, we pray that in our own hearts we will be consulting and examining, is Jesus the King over every part of my life and all that I do and say? Lord, may it be more and more true of us that it is clear that we are servants of the Most High King. We ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen. I would invite you to stand and sing a song of dedication, number 368, Rejoice the Lord is King, number 368.
offering this morning is for the cadets, International Campery Support. And I'd also let you know that following this, we will sing all the verses of When Peace Like a River together. <laughs> 